And uh, I was able to get away with the boys to um, a family cabin. Um, this is the cabin that we stayed at Friday night. It's east of Salem, about 45 minutes, somewhat near Detroit Lake uh, in the mountains there. We just had a really great relaxing weekend. We cooked hot dogs. We ate s'mores. We listened to the river. We went hiking. Uh, we threw rocks and all the things that guys do when they get together. And it was just, just such a relaxing time. I grew up in the summer um, going there over and over and over again, fishing and hiking and and enjoying um, a wonderful time. So it was just a real blessing to get away and enjoy some peace and quiet. And as I was there, I just I just felt all week um, that the sermon that I kind of had ready was just wasn't clicking. And I got away from everything and most of the noise and just got... Um, Friday night after everyone else was in bed, I just went out on the deck overlooking the river. Uh, you can It's kind of where the picnic table is. I sat just a little bit, and the river's over the bank from there. And I just sat there at night with no cars, no lights, just total darkness except for the noise of the river rushing by, and said, Lord, where is this going, and where am I going? And uh, so the Lord kind of changed it. I think the verse on the front of your bulletin, though, still echoes in my mind as I think about what I'm going to share today, that there's nothing more important than Jesus. And that is still at the center of what I want to share today as we go into. There's a picture of the water just downstream from where the cabin is, um, just a beautiful spot and, and so many memories of talking with the Lord and hearing his voice. On the way back from this trip, we stopped uh, at a stoplight. And this building you see in front of you is where I preached my first sermon. Over 18 years ago now, um, I've been going to an evangelical church in Salem. And the pastor had had, uh, for a while, this burning desire to to kind of spawn a sister church. And so I wasn't a part of all of the doings of that. But when this church started, I really felt excited and encouraged to be a part of it. And shortly after it began to, to... um, meet at the Woodburn Grange Hall, I was asked to preach my first sermon. Never been to college, um, never studied sermonizing, uh, just had, you know, didn't have a family member who'd ever written a sermon before. I was all on my own. And um, Linda got all of this before the service because we were talking about it. But I had an old pastor who had told me um, his first sermon, he had just had this stack of papers like this. He's like, man, I'm good for two hours. And he said, in seven minutes, I was done. I was out of ammo, and that was the end of the service. And he said, and they wanted me to come back. He said, but I didn't ever preach quite that short again. So he's like, you're going to do fine. And it was just neat to have a weekend of these memories, um, to come back and relive some of the things that happened so long ago. Um, And so as I processed all of that, I thought about that first sermon. My, My title was God is Light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And just those early moments of my Christian faith where Jesus was everything, there were little distractions, um, and everything was on fire and glorious. And so, as I thought about this week, the word you see on the screen just kept coming back to me. As I sat along the riverbank, as we walked the road together with my dad and the boys, as we listened to the water and had marshmallows together and and um, I started reading a book about authentic fatherhood and how God is our um, perfect father in every way. 
I just felt the Lord saying to me, this is the word for, for, for Sunday morning. So I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just want to share from my heart a little bit about um, what is on my mind. It just seems today that for so many ways, the, the world has no interest in the church. And in many ways, the church has no interest in the world. In many churches in America today, we lack power and the presence of God. The church looks so much like the world, acts no different than the world. Its hobbies and habits and entertainment are just like the world, that we're making no impact on the world whatsoever. The world doesn't give us a second look, and we're not even making them uncomfortable. It's kind of like Lot. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? He just kind of integrated into their life. And they didn't really pay him much attention, and neither did he pay them much attention either. He had no influence, and he'd become just like them. And for many places in the world today, the church is no different than our day. We're far more concerned about our comfort and our toys and our downtime, our homes and our cars, than we are about a world that is lost and dying all around us. God described in Haggai chapter 1, where it says in verse 9, God is speaking, and he says, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Even in that day, people were busy with their own activities, with remodeling their house or while the temple of God lay in ruins. The church failed to cry over things that made God's heart weep. We're too busy going and doing to go to church, to spend the time ministering to others the way God would have us to minister to. If you've ever read about revivals very much, you've probably read about the revivals in Wales in way back in the year 1743. One writer wrote about this revival, and he said, It is so incredible that you can hardly believe it unless you see it for yourself. Their singing and praying is so full of God. They're a God-saturated people. He went on to write, Oh, how my soul burned with love when I was among them. They fall almost as dead by the power of the word, and they continue weeping for joy, having found their Messiah. Some are crying under a sense of their own wickedness. Some of them are in the pangs of the new birth that Jesus brings, and all are lifting up holy hands with hearts filled with God, filled with joy. But in many ways, the church has so little of the presence of God or the power of God that we struggle to make an impact around us. We don't leave a dent in the society in which we live. And I wonder what God's word would say to a church like that. a church that God wants to make an impact in this world with. And so we're going to turn this morning to John chapter 4. Many of you have already done so. Just read four verses together about what Jesus said, the story that involves his ministry. John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would open up our ears to what you want to say to us today. I pray, Lord, that we would be like the crowds, hungry for some movement, hungry for some direction, hungry, Lord, for the Spirit of God to be powerful and active and living and evident in the church. And I pray, Lord, that the spark that you would start might start in us right here, right now. And I just pray you take the minutes that we have together this morning. And Father, you say to our hearts what you need to say. And give us, Lord, the ears to hear and obey. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three things I want to share with you this morning. Um, Just quickly to see what there was about this story, what was going on in the church, what was going on in this place, what was going on in the middle of this story that, that made it so powerful and that ended with people coming to Jesus and hearing him and believing him. And the first thing that we see in this section is that there was a power of a personal testimony. In the story of this revival, there was a powerful testimony. This woman who had been living in immorality, isolating herself from society, going from man to man, just looking for some man, looking for something, looking for some pursuit on this earth that would satisfy this inner need that she was given by God to be fulfilled in a way that no person could ever fulfill her. All these scars of damaged relationships. And she comes to Jesus and he offers her eternal life. He offers her forgiveness and freedom. And for the first time in her life, she's truly satisfied. For the first time in her life, she really has a a joy and a happiness that only Jesus could give. And it says, because of the words of her testimony, people came to Jesus. By the words of her mouth, others found the Lord in every way. And it says, many in the town believed him. Why? Because of this woman's testimony. As I waited at the light to turn away from the Woodburn Grange, the picture that I showed you earlier, I was thinking back into my early days as a Christian, and it wasn't that I'd been to seminary that I wanted to share the gospel. It wasn't because I was a senior pastor that I wanted to share the gospel. It was because Jesus had done something in my life, and I had a story to share, and I wanted others to know that no matter what it was that they were going through, Jesus is able to come into the middle of all of that and do something that we could never do for ourselves. And it was in those early days the power of my personal testimony that was who I was. It was the story of Jesus changing my life and how God was able to do something with someone willing to surrender themselves to the Lord. And there's the power of a personal testimony. Anytime that someone is going to hear about the gospel, more than likely it's going to be because of the stories that you and I tell about what Jesus has done in our own life. They're not going to want to find, you know, the six ways to understand the theology of God's omniscience. 
They're not going to want to have a conversation with you about, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity. They're going to want to know what is God to you and what has God done for you in your life to make you want to celebrate him. What is it that makes you want to go to church every Sunday and spend all that time that you could be watching football or barbecuing outside or going somewhere with your friends? Why is it so important for you to be in the church? And for most Christians, the real answer is not because of amazing music or an amazing pastor or all the amazing people there. More than likely, down deep inside of them is because Jesus has changed them from the inside out, and they've never been the same. And there's the power in the early church of a personal testimony that can never be discounted. What did the woman say about Jesus? It's there in verse 29. She said, to her friends, come and see a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. For so many people spend their whole life trying to hide from their sins, trying to hide from their mistakes and from their failures. And yet this woman had found in Jesus some kind of revelation that she was finally known as she really was. The core of this woman was that she had made these decisions and made these mistakes and made relationship change after relationship change, trying to fix all the problems that had come up before. And Jesus says, you know what? There's a different way to live than this. And of all the things this woman could have said about Jesus, she says this phrase, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Like he can read your mind. Like, he can know the words on your heart. He can feel the pain that no one else can feel. He can know the concerns that no one else can know about. He can know the guilt that no one else carries. He can feel and see and hear all of those things and know exactly the words to say to you in the middle of all of that to touch you. Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. It's a beautiful expression of God's omniscience. But the reality was for this woman that Jesus didn't just lay it all out there and say, these are all your problems, what's wrong with you? He said, you know, many times we come with a cloak over our heart, a mask over our life. And the little bit that we peek behind, we want God to fix or change. But when Jesus came into that woman's surroundings, into her paradigm of her life, and all of the darkness that she carried and placed in front of her, he just, he called it what it is, but he says, you don't have to live that way anymore. I offer you newness. I offer you true satisfaction, true joy, true fulfillment, that you'll never find in a man or a person or a place or a thing. And Jesus saw her for who she was, but it didn't turn her away. It drew her to him. That's the beauty of this story is that when Jesus calls things the way they are, it is not to, to trample on us. It is not to make us feel horrible about ourselves. It is to help us to see God and his holiness. And then when we see him as he is, then we see ourselves as we are, and then he offers to us his forgiveness. 
she'd met with God and been forever changed. And there's a powerful word for us to share when we have met with God and been forever changed. There's no story like that kind of story. There's no story like your story. I just want to throw a couple of recommendations as you think of how to share the testimony that God has given to you. First of all, keep it brief. This woman's story was not two pages of all the things that Jesus had said to her. And all the particulars of the conversation, the fact of the matter was, Jesus did something that no one had ever done before for her. And she would never be the same again. Keep it short. Make it to the point. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has changed. This is what Jesus has done for me now. Another thing, it wasn't about her laundry list. She didn't go to the people. I mean, part of the problem was, is I think everyone kind of already knew the kind of woman that she was. But she didn't go and tell her testimony about, you know, the 25 things where she failed and all the sin that she was in. She went and said, come and see this man who has changed me. It was centered in Christ and what Christ had done for her. And any story that we tell must be about the story of what Jesus has done for us. Another part of her testimony that there was an invitation. Come and see this man that has done this amazing thing for me. Anytime we tell our story to another non-believer and I give them the chance to be invited to church or to invited to find out more about Jesus or invited to hear more about our story is a missed opportunity that God, I think, places in our way. And we can have this opportunity to share the power of our personal testimony in so many ways. I've heard a lot of sermons over my lifetime. I've heard good sermons. I've heard sermons that, you know, could have been rewritten, as I'm sure you have, and done better. And I've been called to preach under a really great sermon. My heart has been touched by good messages. But I think back on my Christian life, and I would say without equivocation that I've received more from the stories of other people and how Jesus has worked in their life than I've ever got from a sermon. Did I just preach myself out of a job? (laughs) There's something about the power of your faith. Jesus living and breathing and active in you because you go out from this place, 20, 30, 40, 50 of you, and God calls you to share that story and you're in more places talking with more people than I will ever be in this room. Ever. And I can't tell your story for you. Only you can tell your story for you. And God places such prominence in our life in the ministry that he has called us to. I've loved this idea in the Quaker church of all God's people are ministers. So next Sunday, I'm picking one of you to get up and preach. Now you all say amen. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, that's what God calls us all to. A life of ministry, a life in the priesthood of believers. And that ministry for most of us is sharing the story of what Jesus has done in our own life. Nothing is more powerful in your life, in the life of others, than the power of Jesus. That's all she shared. Come and see this man 
who knows everything that I've ever done. Another thing that I saw in this passage that there is a power in the presence of Christ. We think so much about the woman's story, but it says in verse 40, it says, so, so she told them about this man. And what did they do? They were drawn to him. So it says, so when the Samaritans came to him, so they went looking for him. Now, were the Samaritans the Jews' favorite company? Don't miss the irony of this. Kind of like the scum of the earth, even in the culture of this day, were drawn to the power of this woman's word and the power of Jesus. And so they came and they looked for him and they found him. And then it says in verse 40, they urged him to stay with them. They longed for him to remain. They wanted to hear his word. They wanted to feel his presence. They wanted to be close to him. And so Jesus stayed for two days. You know how many times he did this in the Bible? Not very many. Remember a lot of the time he would work a miracle and then get out of Dodge. But there's something in the hunger of this crowd that was different than any other crowd he'd been. Something was happening in the lives of these people that we just don't see that many times in Scripture where they, they didn't beg him to stay and work for more miracles that we know of. They wanted to talk with him. They wanted to get to know this guy who had changed this woman who was the outcast of society. Now all of a sudden is enthralled with this amazing man who had changed everything for her. And they wanted to get to know this man themselves. And they said to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you have said, but now we're hearing his word for ourselves, And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's a beautiful picture of the power of the presence of Christ in a person's life or in a group's life when, when they long for him to remain. I was thinking about this as we were singing those words, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And, and Linda and I were talking before the church about stuff and family and, and we just want God to fix it and, and, and that will give us the strength. We didn't say that, but that, that's, I'll go with it. Because I'll be a lot stronger if God would fix all of my problems. But for two days, they lingered with Jesus. They stayed with him. They, they, they absorbed everything that he said, and they longed for him to be there with them. And they discovered for themselves the power of his word to be true. sitting in the pew before the service started, after Linda had walked away. And I thought, Lord, sorry to pick on you today. You stopped and talked to me, though. When was the last time I urged Jesus to linger? At the end of a church service or my sermon or anywhere. I, you know, I got to go to the next meeting. I've got to run the kids here and we've got to go here and we've got to do this and you know, this is scheduled for here, and there's dinner to cook and things to do and places to go. And many of us live our lives just going from the next activity to the next event, and we got to keep our schedule, and we got to do all those things. And for some reason, this crowd of people who were just like you and I, though in a different age, nothing else mattered to them except Jesus. 
That's what I was going to preach on this morning, and it kind of fits now. There's nothing Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. All I care about is knowing Jesus and Jesus crucified. Nothing else matters to me but Jesus. And for this crowd and for this group and for this woman, to hear his word and to hear her story about Jesus changing her life, nothing else mattered to them but to linger in the presence of God. Something happened in this woman's life. Something happened in the people of this town that all they wanted to do was to stay and to linger with Jesus. And you better believe that when we have hearts like that, God's going to do some things in us. (laughs) When we turn off the television and just wait upon the Lord, when we put our errands off until tomorrow and say, Lord Jesus, speak to me. when we make whatever sacrifice, when we lay aside whatever thing we were going to do or place we were going to go, just to ask God to create and to spawn and to nurture that hunger in our heart for Him, no prayer like that will go unanswered. God will answer it in His time. What a beautiful picture of a church that yearns and hungers to linger in the love and the presence of God. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 45, actually verse 14. God talks about this being true of his people. The Lord says, The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and all those Sabians, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. So they're going to come as prisoners. And they will bow down before you, God's people, and plead with you, and they will say these words. Listen to this. Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. And I think the world today will do that with a church who lingers in the presence of God, who hungers to remain in the power of the presence of Jesus. When was the last time someone, an unbeliever, banged on our door because they had no doubt that the living God was inside? When was the last time a family member or a friend came to you desperate for salvation, desperate for help, not that you could save them, but the living God was inside of you? There was something about you that they had to have it. There was no doubt in mind. Something about Jesus' presence drew this crowd to him. They wanted to linger with him because they heard his words. And people around us in spiritual chains and bondage will be drawn to us as we linger and we wait upon the Lord. Thirdly and lastly this morning, there was the power of his word. Verse 41 of that text says, Because of his words, many more became believers. Many more became believers. They heard Jesus' words. They heard him speak. The third, the way way that he talked. And they were with such power and such grace and such love that lives were changed. Reminded of a section in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. And the Pharisees are out there guarding over Jesus and, and so they were sent out to arrest him in this story. And they came back into Hampton, John chapter 7, verse 45. 
Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said, so where's Jesus? (laughs) You were supposed to arrest him. And these guards, these soldiers said this amazing phrase, no one ever spoke the way this man does. There's something about the word of God that says things to us that no one else could ever say. And these were professional soldiers saying this. I mean, they'd heard every word under the sun. Every bad word, every curse word, every negative thing, every attack you could hear, they'd heard it all. And only about Jesus did they say, no one ever speaks the way this guy has spoken. And I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you heard Jesus speak to you? When did Jesus say something to you that no one else could have ever said? In a way that no one else could ever say it. At a moment when no one else would know. In a way that no one else could share it. In this passage, we see the power of a personal testimony. The power of your story and mine is real. It is powerful. It is special. There has to be a beginning to the story, though, in order for the story to be told. (laughs) This woman didn't have a story to tell, not a good one at least, until she met along the road with Jesus. And she listened to him and she talked with him and she followed him in every way. And then she had a story to tell. And the whole town came out to hear it. Do we linger in Jesus' presence long enough for him to write his story upon our heart? Do we hunger for him in this way that he is more important than anything else in our life? That was going to be what I shared this morning, and I'm adding it in. That nothing else mattered to Paul but knowing Jesus. known by many to be the greatest missionary in the history of the world, the best church planner in the history of the world, and you just go down the list of this man's life. I'm going to preach a sermon in a few weeks about his passage where he talks about all of the ways that he suffered for Jesus. And, and I, I hope that you're here for that and listen to this man. I, I, I have been studying this some more, and have, I now think differently about Paul and his writings than I ever thought before. This man who gave his entire life to the story of God said, nothing else matters to me more than to know Jesus. I think we think about revival and we think it has to be some, you know, jazzed up, worked up, hyped up thing. And all the revivals that I've read about is usually about one person or a small group of people who care about nothing else but Jesus. It's all that matters to them. They shut out everything else as much as possible, and they focus on him. I read a story this week about a man named Lamech. I'll close with this. He was bound, uh, born to a wealthy family and Muslim family in Southeast Asia. He heard about the gospel, and his family put a lot of pressure on him, naturally, to live as a Muslim. 
But everything changed for Lamech when he met Christ and accepted him as Savior and Lord. He was in Singapore at the time. And four years later, after accepting Christ, he returned home, knowing that his life would be in danger because of his newfound faith. But the way he tells the story is that he just couldn't help but share Jesus. I love that. That's so simple and yet so powerful. He just couldn't help himself. He knew that his life would be on the line. He knew that his family would forsake him. He knew that his culture would put him on trial. He knew that he'd lose everything. But he just couldn't help sharing Jesus. That is it right there. That is it. That is this woman at the well. That is the Christian whose heart is set on fire. It does not matter an iota about anything else. All that matters to them is Jesus. And that little phrase, he just couldn't help but share Jesus, is so beautiful. It's so simple and yet so hard for you and I to follow in the footsteps of. His own father strapped him to a chair and poured volts of electricity through his arms, trying to get him to renounce his faith in Christ. And through the years, the scars remain of all those tortures. And so do you know what God added? Another chapter to his story. Another verse to his testimony about how God was with him no matter what. And everywhere he goes, people see the scars and they ask him about his story. I think sometimes for you and I, when we have scars, we want to cover them up. We don't want anyone else to see a bunch of guys together and they might, you know, compare scar sizes and all that stuff. But most of the time, you know, we spend billions of dollars on makeup in order to hide those things. We wear clothes in order to hide those things up, and we want no one else to know about them. And I wonder this morning for you and I if, if we're scarred or our story is scarred. You know, she tried to cover up her story at first, and Jesus said, no, that's not quite true. That for those of us in the middle of a trial, it is so easy sometimes to try to hide the pain in order to feel like we're going to be okay. And I wonder if we waited upon the Lord for his strength, if we yearned to linger and to stay with him and to hear his word and to see his life-changing power in our life that then others might be drawn to our suffering. If in the middle of, the, of our pains of life, God might give us the chance to tell our story in a way that we'd have never told it any other way. Because Jesus has done for us what we would have never imagined he'd be able to do. And so this morning's message is really simple. It's really, really simple. Has God started his story in you? There has to be beginning in order there for to be a next chapter. We come to him at our work or at home or in the middle of a difficult situation and we cry out to him and we do like those people. We believe in his word that he is the Messiah. He knows everything about us. And as soon as the woman accepted him, she changed her heart and there was this story of how much she was loved. And how much God had changed in her life. And there is the power of your story 
that God wants to get out there. Don't hold it. Don't hide it under a barrel or keep it from others around you. Certainly don't hide the scars from the people around you because you know what? We're all scarred. Every one of us has scars. They may not be on the outside. They might be on the inside. Don't hide from your story or in the middle of the chapter that God is writing for you right now. Linger in God's presence. You know, we got a church at 1145 or, you know, whenever um, we get out of church, whenever the pastor decides that we're done. And, and, and our inclination is to run to the next thing. I wonder sometimes if we miss the chance to share our story because we're too busy going. But I wonder how on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, the Bible calls it, if there isn't time that we make on this day where most of the normal things that we do through the week aren't a responsibility today, that we say, Lord, am I, am I waiting on you? Am I hungering for you? Am, am I begging you to stay until I can hear more from you? Am I longing for you to remain in this place for 10 minutes or an hour or three hours? If, if it's at home in your closet or on your bed or in the living room or driving in your car, wherever it is, Lord, I want you to be here and stay here. I need you now. I need you to be with me. And I think if that we are confident in our story and we're living in the presence of God, that his word just flows through us. Even though we might be in the middle of great sorrow or pain. The woman was in the middle of her mess, and Jesus came right there in the middle of it. Didn't say, hey, come back in 10 weeks, and we're going to use you. I want to use you right now, right where you are in this place, in this moment, because you've heard my voice, and you've followed me. Let's stand, and we'll close in order of prayer. Lord, I thank you that when we come to you or we come to this place or as we go about our day, uh, we're no different than this woman. We're fallen beings, living life in a fallen world. And Lord, we, we need your forgiveness and we need your grace. And it would be wrong for us to come to you pretending that everything was all together because it's not. Lord, we come to you because only you have the words of life. Only you have the water to offer us that will satisfy both in this life and the next. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would work that grace in us that causes us to, now in this moment and in the days to come, to fully trust in you with all of our heart. Because you see us as we are. Lord, I just pray that as we walk with you, that you would continue to write your story upon our life of the things that you've forgiven and the places that you've taken us and the grace that we receive from you. And I pray, Lord, for those this morning who maybe are tempted to hide the scars of grief or of an injury, Lord, or maybe just a broken relationship or fear or disappointment or heartbreak. And we want to appear all together. And Lord, you already know that we're not. So let's not fake it. Let's just be authentic. Let's just realize that in the middle of the storm of our life that God comes onto the scene and studies us. And as you continue to write that chapter of our life, there's someone around us 
who needs to come alongside of us or you need to send us alongside of them and put those arms that have scars or that heart that is bleeding around them and say, won't you come along with a journey with me? This is what God is doing in me right now. Let's go through this together. I pray, Lord, that we would long to remain in your presence and that we would depend upon your word for all things. Lord, I thank you for this this simple story, yet it's so powerful in the fact that we hear your voice and you change us and you send us. And this town was never the same because Jesus was there. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us this morning that you would be here. We talked last Sunday about you're already in our midst. But open, Lord, our spiritual ears to hear your voice. Open up the callous places in our hearts that know God is out there, but just aren't quite ready for him to come in yet. Break down, Lord, those barriers that block us from fully knowing you and fully following you and fully delighting in you and fully being forgiven by you. Come in, Lord, in a fresh and powerful way. And Lord, when when that happens, help us to linger there. Don't go. Don't let us be distracted or busied so much that we don't stay in your presence. Help us, Lord, to long to spend more and more time with you as we go closer to you. And Father, I pray that as the church follows you and tells your story and trusts in you, that the world would come knocking on our door and we would go knocking on their door because of this man, Jesus, who's changed everything. We praise you, Lord, for your love for us today. We just ask that you'd help us to enjoy this beautiful day. And Father, for each of us in our own way and time, how, Lord, will we linger with you today? Father, would you linger with us as we go about our day? Linger with us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. May you be.